Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Well, it's time to Ben Drowski show. As I speak, it's Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. Uh, the country is still reverberating, or at least I'm still reverberating uh, from yesterday's announcement uh, out of Colorado that the uh, Colorado State Supreme Court has given the heave-ho uh, to uh, former President Donnie Trump, uh, bouncing him off the ballot because they say uh, it is unconstitutional uh, to allow a person who participated in an insurrection against the federal government to run uh, for a position in the federal government. It says it's right there in the Constitution, in the 14th Amendment. And I completely 100% agree. They absolutely f- says it in the 14th Amendment. Now, I know they got this little wiggle room they're going to try to weasel their way out of. It's so funny. You know, whenever a guy gets off on like a quote-unquote technicality, like he can get his rights read to him, Maga's like ranting and railing. You know, some poor guy, throw him in jail, shoot him. You know, but when it comes to them, they're looking for the wiggle room. Get some lawyer like sneaking around with his little technicality. That's how he's going to get off. Listen, I've been saying it all day. I've been saying it all week. Or at least I've been saying it uh, ever since the ruling came down. Uh, If you break the rules, you got to be held accountable. Isn't that the way the system is? Isn't that how it works in Chicago? We have ballot access rules. If you don't abide by the rules, they kick you off the ballot. They won't let you run unless your name's Rahm Emanuel. Remember that a few years ago, ladies and gentlemen, 2011? My distinguished guest remembers that. She was around here in 2011. 2011, Rahm Emanuel goes, no, it was 2010. I want to be mayor of the city of Chicago, even though I don't live in Chicago, don't know anything about Chicago. See, what was happening was the Obamas, Michelle Obama was kicking him out of the White House, told Barack Obama, I can't put up with this man for one more day. And Barack said, whatever you say, honey. Uh, Hey, Rahm, how about you become mayor of the city of Chicago? Those dummies will elect you. So Rob flew back to Chicago, started running for mayor of city of Chicago. Turns out he didn't live here. He he's probably violated the residence requirement. Uh, a group of residents challenged his uh, accessibility to the ballot, and an appellate court removed him. And the state Supreme Court said, uh-uh, no way. We're not going to uphold that decision. You're not going to blame us for kicking Rahm Emanuel off the ballot. We're not getting him mad at us. Uh, and so he got to uh, stay in the ballot and the citizens of Chicago, <laughs> heck of a move, elected him. And then they decided, hey, we're going to double down on our dumbness. And they reelected him in 2015. Uh, and then, of course, he uh, paid back uh, their kindness by concealing evidence of a murder uh, of, <laughs> of Laquan McDonald and eventually couldn't run again. I have the same feeling that the Supreme Courts will do the same. They, they, I, I, they're just like, mm-mm, nope. We're not going to kick Donald Trump off the ballot, even if it's clear he violated. Yes, he violated the rules. Yes, he's offside, <laughs> like in football. Yes, it's a tennis player who hit the ball and it didn't fall 
uh, within the court, but we're going to call it within the court anyway because we don't want to be the guys who kicked Donald Trump off the ballot. See, they teach kids when they're a little small, like, you know, kids, you got to play by the rule, kids. There's rules in the game. Well, apparently there are no rules if you're Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't have to play by the rules. I bet that's my bet. My bet the Supreme Court will find some wiggle room to let Donald Trump off the hook. And then good luck coaching a football team. You say to your kid, all right, well, you can't be off sides. Uh, you have to stay within this line. And the little kid waves his hand. But coach, Donald Trump got away with breaking the rules. Why can't we? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what. This country is dumb enough to elect Donald Trump its president in 2024. He's going to rip up all the rules. That democracy, open window, throw out democracy, ladies and gentlemen. It's a scary time in America. I don't think America's caught on yet. Anyway, so here's, here's step one. Will the Supreme Court of the United States allow Donald Trump to get away with blatantly breaking the rules uh, and, you know, coming up with some lame <laughs> excuse to let him stay in the ballot? I say yes, they will, because they don't have the guts to throw him off the ballot, even though he broke the rules. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and then I'm going to put the question to her. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, and she's not afraid to speak the truth. So, I will now ask you the Donald Trump question before we move on. In your humble opinion, do you think the U.S. Supreme Court Will bounce Donald Trump from the ballot and upholding that decision in Colorado? Or will they find some lame, legalistic, uh, wimpy excuse to let him remain on the ballot? Go. The latter. Wimpy excuse. <laughs> wimpy excuse and uh, wiggle room. You know, I, you know, just because look at the Supreme Court and who's who it's made up of. They're going to find some way. Um, possible to let Donald Trump stay in the ballot. And and I don't know. I, I mean, legally, I'm not a lawyer. Um, there might be some, there might be some wiggle room, but you can bet that if this was, if the shoes were on the other foot and it was a, someone who was a Democrat, the Supreme Court would be all for it. This is just my guess. It's my prediction. Just because, you know, Donald Trump's the only person that I can think of that can, be so immoral and commit so many crimes. I know, okay, alleged, you know, allegedly committed so many crimes and still get away with so much. Um, you know, he hasn't been convicted of anything yet, but that can happen. And, um, you know, you would think that the Supreme Court would look at this logistically and for the sake of the country, but I don't think they will, given given their record. I, I, think, I think the latter is going to happen they're going to let Donald Trump stay in the ballot. My question is like, if he stays on, if he's off the ballot in Colorado, would that really affect, you know, could that, could that be, could that lead to other states to do the same thing? I, I'm just wondering if other states are going to. Okay. So this, Colorado. yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and there are so many variables at play. It's hard to give you a, a precise answer. Uh, it, so the chief variable is, the, the actual ruling itself, the actual decision, the language employed, how sweeping it is or how precise it is, how tailored it is uh, to Colorado, even if they uphold uh, Colorado. But um, uh, in general, there are, there are in other cases, other suits in other states. Uh, and so if, if the Supremes, even if they write a very uh, tailored, nuanced uh response to Colorado, that would leave those other cases going. If they throw it out completely and say there's no standing whatsoever uh, to uh, kick Donald Trump off the ballot for being an insurrectionist or participating in an, insur in an insurrection because the 14th Amendment doesn't specifically st stipulate that the president uh, can... can uh, not be an insurrectionist. So that, that's the wiggle room. That's the wiggle room that they're all trying to sneak through. Like the language doesn't 
say president specifically. Uh, so that's the loophole they're going to uh, seek to exploit. So if the Supremes say, sorry, across the board, you can, this is, um, you cannot force, you, you, you cannot force an insurrectionist candidate for president, uh, not, uh, to run, uh, then I think that kills all the other lawsuits. So it really all comes down to, um, you know, how, uh, if, if they definitively rule that an insurrectionist can't run for president, I mean, he's off the ballot everywhere. Uh, so I just can't see it, Ramana, in a million years. Um, you know, it's one thing for Republicans, uh, Supreme Court justices to take the election from Gore and give it to George W., uh, to, to baby Bush in 2000. Okay. That's taking care of their guy. I can't see them. Uh, I can't either. Intervening. It's uh, it's no more than I, I didn't think this, the Illinois Supreme Court would kick Rahm off the ballot. I, go, I was like, no way. I was talking to your husband, Mick, at the time. Go, no way. He wasn't your husband at the time, but he still was Mick. Um, so anyway, all right. Uh, let's move on to a topic that's on my mind. It's been on my mind for two weeks. I sent you this article in the Washington Post, homework for poor Ramana. Uh, and... Um, uh, <laughs> about uh, Bridget uh, and Christian uh, Ziegler, uh, the love couple uh, out of Florida. And this story, I'm going to do my best to sum it up uh, before I get uh, Ramana to weigh on it. Um, I can't even think of like what it actually exposes uh, about MAGA, the state of the MAGA um, movement in, in this country. Uh, the, the, the the obvious word is hypocrisy, um, but this one is so deep and twisted and weird. I think it goes beyond hypocrisy. So just so f- uh, folks know, Bridget Ziegler uh, was the founder of a group or one of the founders of the group called uh, Moms for Liberty, uh, which is this group of mostly suburban parents, mostly white women, who act so holier than thou about protecting their children from influences as though anybody who's in any way different than them, particularly uh, if they're gay, uh, is some kind of groomer who's kind of trying to lead their child down a path that that child wouldn't ordinarily go down. Really twisted, weird uh, behavior on their part, like, like bizarre projection on their part, showing just like utter hatred, open hatred and prejudice dressed up as a concerned parent looking out uh, for her kid. Uh, and she's married to Christian Ziegler, uh, who was the head of the Republican Party. He still uh, is, uh, isn't he? He didn't step down yet. Uh, wasn't he voted out? Oh, uh, maybe. I, I heard he, that he didn't step down yet. Yeah, no, she didn't step down. Okay, she's also on the, the Board of Education in Sarasota yeah. County. She stepped and, down. She resigned. He no. hasn't. Really? Uh, I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. When I was looking up some stories, he hasn't resigned, but she did step down. But no, she she's still on the on the board. Uh, and if, if this is one of those instances, if where I'm wrong and Ramana's right, which is nine out of ten times when we have these things, I hate to say, uh, I will. Uh, I guess I'll have to. What do I always say? Oh, I'll buy you breakfast at the restaurant of your choice. Actually, the restaurant of my choice. Uh, and. Uh, but no, the board members, uh, her fellow board members. Well, let me tell you what the scandal is, and then we'll get to. Uh, so, okay, so this self-righteous uh, protector of all innocent children. Uh, turns out she and her husband were involved in a three-way sexual affair uh, with another woman who's been unnamed. Uh, and the husband showed up, Christian Ziegler showed up at the other woman's house uh, to continue, have another three-way uh, sexual encounter. But Bridget. Uh, didn't show up. And so the other woman said, uh, oh, I was, I'm, <laughs> I'm here for Bridget, not you. Uh, so I, if Bridget's not going to be involved in this, I don't want any part of it. Uh, and then no laughing matter. Uh, she alleges uh, that Christian Siegler sexually assaulted her. There's an investigation going on that. Uh, in the aftermath, the utter, like, I guess the word is hypocrisy. The woman who's trying to protect children in Florida and throughout the country from grooming gays is herself, uh, gay and it's so bizarre and twisted and so filled with self-hate and such weird projection not quite sure uh what to make of it uh and um it's an embarrassment but the board the 
the, the Board of Education in Sarasota uh, voted to ask her to resign, and she did not resign. They, they didn't oust her because the politics are such they don't want uh, her gone from the board. They just want to pretend like they're taking a stand uh, against her. Uh, and so, Ramana, so many issues at stake here. But I like when the story first broke, I sent you the article because I thought of you because in so many ways, like you've been over the last four years on uh, this show sort of really good at pointing out the difference between what people say (laughs) (laughs) and what they do, Uh, especially uh, a special, your specialty is when white people do this. Uh, And uh, by the way, a local story. Sometimes you're always looking for that local angle. Bridget Ziegler is from Illinois. I believe. Is she? she, Yes. Don't quote me on this. I believe she's from Wheaton. Oh, Uh, okay. (laughs) That O does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show. That is strictly Romana's editorial O. Uh, <laughs> I think she's from Wheaton. Uh, and I'm pretty sure she is. Uh, I'll check it out before the show's over just to double check. Uh, but your general thoughts about this is an example of what Romana always points out, the Romana theory of people saying one thing and doing something else. Go ahead. Well, first of all, I wanted to say, so what happened with Christian Ziegler, Ziegler, um, he basically, the, um, the Florida GOP did, uh, they did censure him and they stripped him of his authority. So you're correct to that. And they cut his salary at $1. So they're going to formally, I think, vote to remove him in January. And you are right. I think Bridget was asked to resign from the Sarasota School Board. And I was reading a story where someone actually, you know, there were there was like a discussion during the public session. There were a couple parents did point out to her hypocrisy, um, you know, has how she presents herself and what she's actually doing. And I mean, are you shocked? I mean, this is like so common. You hear about the people who are so afraid and saying things like this about groups like you can have your viewpoints. But the people who start organizations like this, like Moms for Liberty, they're the ones who are doing this stuff, you know, that they're they're so repulsed by behind closed doors. And, um, you know, obviously it's not a laughing matter if there's sexual assault or sexual misconduct involved, which are the allegations here. And, you know, there are formal charges against Christian Ziegler. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, Ben, I, I, I was out of town and then I got a case of food poisoning. So like, I haven't, I didn't even like pay attention to this until you told me, but I have been following what Moms for Liberty has been doing. You know, I think they've been um, lashing out against, you know, the libraries and books that are put out there, um, particularly LGBTQ books. And they actually started off as a group, um, you know, that I think they started during um, the height of the COVID pandemic because they were anti, you know, wearing masks. And then it morphed into something where they're all scared of LGBTQ. And they were behind that whole don't say gay campaign. So it's it is it's very ironic and very hypocritical that this couple that was, um, you know, espousing themselves or presenting themselves as as like this right wing family matters organization that's so repulsed by the LGBTQ community that is engaging in three ways with this woman. And um, I bet you um, Miss Ziegler does not see herself as gay, but she was engaging in gay sex, it seems like, you know what I mean? So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I'm not shocked by the hypocrisy because we've seen this over and over and over again, um, especially with a lot of people who pretend to be, you know, holier than thou or act as if they're holier than thou and, and um, you know, kind of put themselves out there as being the uh, guardians of morality. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's not shocking. And, and the thing is, I think people who, you know, kind of back organizations like that, I don't know, they'll, they'll kind of still not really um, acknowledge the hypocrisy. I mean, it's the same thing with Donald Trump. It's like Donald Trump, 
you know, we're talking about Donald Trump. He does everything that a lot of, you know, evangelicals and other other Americans are against, but he he does everything that, you know, they they say that they don't stand for, yet they still back him. So I don't know. I don't know how it's going to affect their reputation or Moms for Liberty if it's going to blow up. But I have a I have a feeling um, it'll it'll still be a pretty solid, you know, organization that's still out there. I mean, they've made a lot of inroads. I mean, they've gotten so much publicity. I, you know, when as soon as you said Mom for Liberty, I'm like, oh, I know who they are. Um, cause we've, we've had some co- columnists, like our, the columnists that we use in our paper, write about them and other things that they're going after. And I don't know, it's Florida and it's like, uh, the Republican party. So not shocked at all. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things, uh, Ron, she's a, she and her husband are allies of DeSantis, Governor DeSantis. Uh, by the way, I did the double check. Uh, so she was born in Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, and raised in Wheaton. So I don't know if there's uh, an editorial OE that you have for Schaumburg, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's where she was born and she was raised in uh, Wheaton. I sent you a clip that went viral uh, that I found um, uh, very convincing and solid uh, by a, a graduate of the school system uh, that um, – uh, Bridget Ziegler is a school member, a board member of. Uh, his name is uh, Xander Moritz. Uh, he's a graduate. He now attends Harvard. So he's obviously a pretty uh, intelligent guy. And he made a very compelling point, in my humble opinion, uh, in this um, speech he gave at the uh, public comment session uh, at the school board meeting directly to Bridget Ziegler, who's sitting there while he's saying this. And you can see that in the video. And the point he made uh, was that in his humble opinion, uh, she should not be forced to uh, uh, leave the school board because she engaged uh, in a three-way sexual affair with a, another woman and her husband. Uh, that is her private business, he said. Uh, and uh, presumably at that moment, they were all consenting adults the issue of the husband, Christian, uh, and the woman, the sexual, alleged sexual assault is a completely different matter. Uh, so he said, I don't believe you should step down for that. And I will defend your right to be a, a, a closeted queer woman uh, who uh, <laughs> has, engages uh, in three-way sex uh, with your husband and a woman. But uh, your position that people, gay people, should be uh, forced into a closet and are somehow or other like enemies of society and are evil uh, purveyors uh, is despicable. Uh, and you're using your power to silence me and intimidate me and people like me uh, is why I oppose you and you should be removed. And I thought that was an important uh, distinction to make. Uh, and um, so I applaud him for saying that. You know what, Ramana, your other point, I think, is the most compelling, is really compelling. I don't think they care. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, we, they're such blatant hypocrites. They're, they're on MAGA's on some kind of weird trip here, Ramana. They, I, don't quite, they, I mean, you can do anything, right? I mean, Donald Trump, before he was elected, remember he said he could shoot someone and, and, and nobody will care? I mean... It's crazy in a way it's prophetic because everything he's done everything. You know, I always think like if Barack Obama did half of the stuff, I mean, he would already been thrown in prison without like, the key taken away. You know what I mean? It's it's just um, the hypocrisy. And it's it's like you could do. I mean, Donald Trump and a lot of these um, Republican, you know, figureheads or, you know, these prominent um, Republicans, they could do anything. and and people will still be backing them. And meanwhile, if this was a Democrat or someone, you know, if this was one of the squad, they would be, they would be livid. You know, they want to, they want to, they want to shut the squad up when they say anything, you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's just, it's just insane. I just don't think, I don't know what's, you know, obviously Christian um, Ziegler, he's probably going to be, you know, stripped away. I mean, he's already been stripped from his powers, from his chairmanship, but, um, you know, he'll basically probably be voted out in January, but 
I mean, he's going to find his way. He'll still have he'll still have the supporters. Yeah. And she will, too. There's just something about um, I've been watching this phenomenon in American politics for a long time. Uh, we're a very misogynistic country, to put it mildly. Uh, Hillary Clinton was not elected in part, I believe, uh, because she's a woman. Uh, I have a hard time thinking Nikki Haley would ever get elected uh, or much less not nominate, much less elected uh, because she's a woman. And yet America's always putting up like this. How do I put it? This stereotype of the pristine suburban mom who is somehow or other like not ambitious, uh, only in it to protect children. I've been watching this for, it used to be called, remember soccer moms? They, like the notion of like they were soccer moms. They don't care about anything but their children. That's all they care about. My, like, my, not, um, we don't have ambition even. You know what I'm saying? My older sister's a soccer mom. Well, we call her soccer mom. She has a minivan and no, but she's, she's, she has other, she's, uh, she's, she's uh, very intelligent. She's definitely smarter than me, but we call her soccer mom because she's, uh, you know, she's all about, she was driving around with kids and like taking, which is good. It's a good thing. But yeah, I, I think there's this like, I know what you're talking about. It's like, and and they, they always talk about during elections or like these white suburban and they're usually white. They're not like, they're not like Indian soccer moms. Okay. Because the white, the white, I'm, I'm not trying to go after white women, but white women are kind of put on this pedestal. And so the white soccer moms are these like, saint-like figures and they've always kind of you know pop up and you know they're always out there you know starting some sort of group that you know kind of has to dictate what we're supposed to be offended by and what we're not supposed to be offended by and I don't know it's it's I know what you're saying there's definitely that that strain of and, you know, and, and a lot of these um, these women were, you know, when Trump was elected, right, they were kind of trotted out on these like different news programs and they were talking about why they like Donald Trump. And and and, and there's always that suburban mom vote. Right. And it's always and like like we said, it's these suburban white women. So there is like that demographic that and then like, all the stereotypes obviously don't apply because I'm sure there's a lot of suburban soccer moms who, you know, can think. But yeah, there is this image that some of them want to portray. It's kind of like a Leave It to Beaver, like uh, Leave It to Beaver kind of modern day um, persona that they want to put out there. Yeah, no, it's it's. It, by the way, you're, there's nothing wrong. I'm going to state the obvious with a mom or dad driving. Her or his kids to soccer games? No, I, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, okay, I'm just no, saying. I, I'm just saying. We jokingly, we all. We, yeah, you know, no, I know. I like I, the, the the Hussein family loves to tease each other. I've oh yeah, that we definitely. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of needlers in that family. But so there's absolutely duh. I used to do it myself. It wasn't soccer game it was basketball games and stuff. So my kids played basketball. But the point is, is that there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's the projection of like this propaganda machine that a woman who acts as though she has no personal ambition uh, is, but it is only doing whatever she's doing, getting involved civically because she cares about her kids. And that person is somehow or other superior or more idealistic or more sincere than, I don't know, like a woman who doesn't have kids. And it's like, yeah, I'm ambitious. I want to be, I want to be a mayor. I want to be. Yeah. And, and women and women who have kids can be ambitious too. You know, that's a thing. It's like women aren't just one thing or the other. Right. But it's this persona that they want to project like, oh, like I said, like June Cleaver, like this is all I do. And, and not to say that, you know, I think there are a lot of people who are mothers and that is, you know what their, you know, their prime job is. And it's great. My mom was a stay at home mom, but she, you know, she could think and stuff. So it's like, it's, it's, it's just like, it's this persona and other, you know, even mothers who are stay at home moms or are watching their kids. That's like their full-time job. They, most of them 
have other ambitions. Most of them have hobbies. Most of them have friends outside of their family, you know? So, yeah, I think it's just like this group of people that want to portray this watered down or one dimensional image of, you know, womanhood or femalehood. And, and, and it's a group that, and it's kind of like a stereotype that these women, like, who are moms for liberty or whatever this group's called want to portray and kind of cling on to these old traditional values. And like, and then the funny thing is it's like, they're the ones who are like going against everything that they say they stand for. And that's what, I think that's what makes it crazy. And and like we were talking about right before the show, Ben, the worst part of it, you know, we were talking about the hypocrisy, but if these allegations are true, the criminal aspect of it, it's terrible. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, and that uh, that's what <laughs> that's what I've said to so many people. At, uh, it's like a line I stole from Norm Macdonald, the comedian. But people have told me the worst part about this is the hypocrisy. And I'm like, well, actually, the allegation of sexual assault, I think, is even worse uh, than the hypocrisy embedded here. I'll be following this one for a while, ladies and gentlemen, uh, see how this one uh, works its way out. All right. Uh, before we move on to lighter topics, I want to give a shout out to uh, the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board. And I'm not just saying that because Ramon is here. Very powerful editorial in today's Sun-Times. Uh, and am I allowed to say who wrote it, uh, Ramana? Uh, your, your mic's off. Yes, you can. Okay. Uh, so it was written by, according to my sources at the editorial of the board of the Chicago Sun-Times, it was written by Lee Bay. Shout out, Lee Bay. Uh, and the article, um, all right, I had like m- m- multi-reaction to the article, uh, to the essay, uh, co- editorial. I call it an essay because to me it's like an essay. Uh, but the essay was, uh, took, chastised uh, uh, Mayor Johnson, took him the task for being disorganized, uh, to put it mildly, uh, and how he's handled uh, the influx of uh, migrants coming to the city of Chicago from Texas. Uh, I hesitate to use the word crisis because I think it's an opportunity. So that's my little hill I'm standing on. No one agrees with me, but I view it as an opportunity. The city has lost a lot of people over the last 20 years. So other people are moving in, uh, and um, I would think the city would welcome it. Uh, Lee did a very good job, I thought, of putting together all the examples of how uh, the Johnson administration has dropped the ball. Uh, on this and just uh, mispronounce shelters run in uh, haphazardly uh, proposals to put 10 cities out proposals to put 10 cities on lands uh, that are polluted Uh, the list goes on and on Um, but right before we came on the show a story is breaking about how Governor Abbott uh, from Texas is now flying people into Chicago Uh, and um, sort of underscored the point that is uh, Brandon Johnson made at a press conference this week and was quoted by Lee Bay in the editorial about how this is this despicable behavior by Republican governor of Texas. It's unyielding uh, and um, we should not lose sight of that. And I agree with him. And, and my issue, Ramana, across the board is that the city of Chicago, I just don't put the blame on Brandon Johnson. The city of Chicago has completely dropped the ball here, not recognized this as an opportunity, treated it like a crisis, allowed the loudest, ugliest voices, uh, the NIMBY voices in the city to be sort of the lead leaders of this. Uh, the business community is nowhere to be found. The philanthropy community, uh, aside from like the service providers themselves, the larger civic organizations, nowhere to be found. The state is missing in action. Joe Biden and the feds are mix- missing in action. It just seems to me a colossal missed opportunity by a lot of people who should be on the ball. And it's not going away because as this story just shows, now they're flying uh, migrants in from Texas. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you say. Um, you know, it isn't just Brandon Johnson's fault, for sure. But the city has dropped the ball, and it, it's unfortunate. Like, you know, just a couple of weeks ago or 
couple days ago, it was that whole thing about whether Chicago should still stay a welcoming or it's a welcoming city, right? The fact that we even have to have that discussion, like why even, you know, bring it up? I mean, I know people are upset because of some communities historically being ignored or not being invested in. That's totally understandable. But it's like these politicians are taking advantage or just um, banking on the fact that there are people who are being xenophobic about it. You know, there's one thing to have the concern, but there's another to be xenophobic about it. And just with this five-year-old child's death, um, it just highlights, you know, I think the problems that we have had with handling this, not what you like, I'm not going to call it a crisis since you said, but handling the situation and it's not going to let up anytime soon. And I think it's, it's a failure I think overall, I mean, what Greg Abbott is doing is a disgrace. I also think the fact that Washington, D.C. is being pretty lax about everything or not really taking the bull by the horns and trying to figure out a solution. It, it It's a failure on all, you know, all across the boards. I do have some sympathy for Brenda Johnson because I think it's a very tough situation. But I think um, our editorial put it best. It's like the way he's handling it, the way he's talking about it. I don't think it's acceptable. Um, I think I think the city just needs to be better about it. Or I just feel like we're so slow about it. It's like a five-year-old child dies. I mean, I'm, I don't know if anywhere near your place. I mean, I see just yesterday I had uh, lunch with someone and I couldn't finish my sandwich. So I had a sandwich in my car and I was driving. I was a stoplight. There was a woman and she definitely was a migrant. And she asked me if I had money. And like most people these days, I didn't have that much cash. I didn't have any cash on me, but I gave her my sandwich. And it, it's like every time I go at an intersection, there's a there's like a refugee family, you know, bundled up and they have a child with them. And it's like I'm cold for like five minutes, you know, that I'm, I'm outside. I can't imagine what these families are dealing with. And, and so it's just from a human, you know, human aspect, it's just been very hard to see. And, and I, I don't think I have all the answers either. I just wish there was, I wish that the politicians wouldn't take this situation and the reactions some Chicagoans have had with the migrants and use it for political purposes. It's, it's really sad that this, you know, whether it's Greg Abbott or city council members, using the migrants as political pawns for their agenda when these are actually human beings there's a five-year-old child that died i mean it's i just i you know it's and there's people that are hospitalized i just hope this situation at some way i i I just think i just i i hate to be negative about it but i just feel like it's going to be it's going to get worse before it gets better and and when i you never you know you i didn't think that there was going to be a child that dies and it's like every time you look up, there's something new about the migrants and, and something new that's not like positive news. And so it's 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 very it's very sad and distressing. And like I said, I don't have all the answers, but it seems like everybody's dropped the ball. And and it's not just us, the city of Chicago, but just nationally, locally, um, everybody. And I, I think people are trying. And it's not like I don't think Brandon Johnson doesn't care. I think he does care. I just think that the city and everyone else is either um, ill-prepared or in denial that this is happening. And in the fact that Greg Abbott is flying people over, that means we're just going to get more more migrants. You know, it's, it's going to be something that we're going to be dealing with for a long time, for sure. Or uh, it's ill-prepared denial or manipulation for political purposes. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I'm talking to you, Alderman Raymond Lopez, and you, Alderman Anthony Beal, uh, who have been the loudest uh, proponents for uh, they want to put the sanctuary city status uh, on the ballot referendum. I, uh, it's a whole debate. I, I My position is, yes, put it on the ballot. Uh, there are people who said, no, Ben, no, the city will vote like Trump and it'll send a horrible message out. Uh, and I'm like, well, First of all, I I think it would the city would not vote like Trump. I believe uh, if um, if like the Brandon Johnson coalition really got behind it strongly, uh, they could defeat uh, the effort to uh, take away the sanctuary city. Uh, and my other point is like, well, if that, if if that's the way it is, so what? If that's where Chicago is, if the city is so filled with hate, uh, you talk about the Liberty Moms being weird. 
Romana, how about Chicagoans? City of immigrants. Everybody, <laughs> I mean, when you have immigrants here, but in this country, in this city for like 10 years, 15 years, coming up and going, go home. That is so twisted. Uh, and we're just like sending out this vibe right now from the city of Chicago. It's really ugly and weird. Uh, and I just don't feel, I don't feel Chicago itself. The people in the city of Chicago are looking themselves in the mirror on this one. That's my humble opinion on it. Um, and we've talked about it a lot with people showing up, uh, yelling at meetings, not in my backyard. Uh, all right, Romano, you have, um, let's twist to, uh, some news that's not so horrific. Uh, two thoughts of cultural significance before I let you go. I'm eyeing the clock because Romana has a, uh, a date with destiny tonight. Uh, Romana Hussein, who is notoriously not interested in basketball, uh, will in fact be attending tonight's Bulls game. Not just a Bulls game, a Bulls-Lakers game. Um, the, one of the hottest tickets in Chicago sports is being used on Ramana Hussein. Uh, and so, Ron, I just want you, I don't want you to feel guilty about going to a game that uh, thousands of Bulls fans uh, would die to go to, even though you're not really that much of a Bulls fan. I just want you to appreciate uh, how lucky you are <laughs> to be going to this game. Your comments on going to tonight's Well, Bulls these are, okay, so Mick, my husband, is part of your season ticket package. He joined in this year, and he asked me what game I want to go to for the Bulls, because he said, oh, I'll take you to one game. And I said, I just want to go to the good game. And, <laughs> and Ben, first of all, I have to say, I am, I okay, I'm kind of like, I'm like a half. I'm not like a really big Bulls fan, but I do like the Bulls. I like basketball. Unlike football, I totally get why basketball is popular. I think, I think um, you know, when Michael Jordan and, you know, the, the dream, not the dream team, that's the Olympics. But when they had those three peats twice, I, I, I definitely remember that. Um, I did watch The Last Dance and I, I knew who every single player was. So I'm not that clueless, um, but I wasn't, you know, I have a friend where we Mick was saying that he we should see the great players. And LeBron James is obviously one of the great players I will still, being a Chicagoan, I'll still say that Michael Jordan is the best. I'm always going to be, I'm always defending anybody that represented Chicago. But I know there are people argue about that. But um, so I've always like appreciated the Bulls. I'm not like you. And, you know, so I, I, I appreciate them. So I'm not, I'm not someone that's like, oh, I have to see the Bulls. I mean, I think it's pretty cool to see LeBron James. And Mick was talking about how he regretted not seeing Michael Jordan play and a friend of mine actually who's like younger than me her uncle's like a crazy bulls fan and she's like no he, she, she got to see michael jordan play because her uncle was a big fan and and I, i'm sure that must have been amazing i look back and i go why didn't i go to any of these games because i think that would have been amazing to see michael jordan and all those other guys play so yeah i mean i i i'm i'm not like someone who's if i went to Football is something else. Okay. I, I hate on football more than I, I don't hate on, I don't hate on basketball. I totally get why people like basketball. I don't get football. Like if I, if I went to a football game, that would be totally out of character. No, okay. I've, gone, I've gone to one Northwestern football. Yeah. Game. I was going to say, didn't Mick drag you to a Northwestern yeah, game? Yeah, like one, but okay. I don't, I, I do not, I do not pay attention to football. I don't get football. I never will get football. That's something that, but basketball, I totally get. And my nephews, like, all my nephews on my side, and I'm pretty sure on Mick's side uh, too, they all love basketball. I think that's two of my nephews like soccer, and one of them really likes basketball. This is on my side. And they all like basketball. I think basketball is the one thing they could agree on. I think it's the one sport most people could agree on that's pretty exciting. So, um, All right. So I'm going to tell you something about tonight's game that you're going to uh, that I think will uh, – uh, when you're there, you go, oh, yeah, Ben was right. So you're going to see the Chicago Bulls versus the Los Angeles Lakers. And as you pointed out, LeBron James plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. They have another really great star named Anthony Davis, who is from Chicago. He's a superstar. So they have two great players on, on the Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, 
There is in the city of Chicago and in the larger Chicago land area, as they say, this strange, weird, twisted cult of Laker fans. And I um, have been dealing with this since the 80s. Uh, I am a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. Uh, growing up in Evanston, I fell in love with all Chicago sports teams. I could never understand why someone who grew up in the Chicago area, the city of Chicago or the suburbs, would root for a team outside of Chicago. And then as I got older, I got to understand the concept, Ramana, of front runners. And these front runners are people who always want to be on top. So they don't want to stick with the Chicago team when it's losing because that somehow or other they're worried that that will make them look bad. So they will jump on any bandwagon that fought, runs across them. So Lakers are winning in the 80s. Oh, I'm a Laker fan. Showtime. Magic. And they're all of a sudden Laker fans, you know? And then Kobe. There's a whole generation of millennials who just fell in love with Kobe. Kobe's cool. Kobe's a winner, not a loser like your Bulls, Ben. And so now LeBron's on the Lakers. There's a whole cohort. Yeah, LeBron. I've always been a Lakers fan, Ben. I go, oh, really? Do you live in Los Angeles? No. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Schaumburg, man. Well, what if you're living in Schaumburg? What the hell are you rooting for the Lakers for? You know? So this is called the Front Runners Club. Uh, and uh, that's you're going to come face-to-face with it. I predict at least 10% of the people that will be at the United Center tonight will be wearing Laker paraphernalia, T-shirts, jackets, hats, and they'll probably be sitting around you. So get ready for front-runner phenomenon. You're coming to come face-to-face with Chicago front-runners. Is that a phenomenon that exists elsewhere besides sports? Romana? No, I, I didn't even know. I mean, so I, I didn't even know that of that because I thought everybody in Chicago was automatically a Bulls fan. I mean, even when you go around the world to to this day, when I go like overseas, people are wearing Chicago Bulls shirts and they're or Jordan shirts. You'll see some Laker shirts, but it's mostly Bulls. So I would think that if you're from Chicago, I don't like people if you're from Chicago. I mean, there's some people because of their family history, they'll cheer for other teams. I totally get that. But I don't get like if you're from Chicago, how you could cheer for the LA Lakers. But I like and but I get the Kobe thing. I mean, he was a, he was like a pretty cool player. I mean, I like the fact that I know who Kobe Bryant is. I mean, uh, he, he was, I don't know. He was, he was pretty good too, but I I've heard, I've heard the whole, like, you know, my brother's a big sports fan, but I I've seen some of the back and forth that my brother and others have had about, um, LeBron and Michael Jordan, who's better. And there's all these debates. So even I know about that because I know everybody, you know, growing up, I have a lot of sports fans in my life. So I've heard the conversation. I've never been part of the conversation. They're probably telling me to shut up, but, um, if I had any sort of like opinion on it. Um, but I don't know. I didn't know that there are, L- I don't know anybody who's an LA Lakers fan. I think people like Kobe though. I, I do know. I don't, I do know people who had Kobe. I know, I know people at Kobe who still have probably Kobe jerseys and really like Kobe and admire him. Um, I think all my nephews still like, they were like really upset when he died. Um, so, so I totally get that, but I didn't know that people are Lakers fan. I just, I assumed everybody was a Bulls fan in Chicago. If you're, you're going to see a lot of Kobe shirts tonight, why not? Uh, you're going to see a lot of Kobe shirts tonight. Uh, and, uh, the only time I've, I've been going to Bulls games forever. Uh, and I went to a lot, I, I was part of a season ticket package during the Jordan years as just like I'm a part of one now. So I went to a lot of Jordan games. Uh, I saw the Lakers come to town uh, during those years. And it was, there was not the phenomenon during the Jordan years of Chicago. Because everybody jumped. Again, we're front runner city. So if the Bulls are on top, Chicagoans will jump aboard the bandwagon. That's, we're a bandwagon city. I, I don't know if we're any different than yeah, anyone else. Yeah, I don't, definitely. I don't, I don't like bandwagoning. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm like, I, I would, I, I'm very careful because I'm like a big sports fan, but I know I get annoyed. Like I like the Cubs, right? Like that's the one team that I'm like, okay, I kind of pay attention to, but I do hate when people like jump on, like, you know, the Cubs are doing well and all of a sudden everybody's a Cub fan. So I understand when people who are really big Bulls fans or Bears fans and like nobody cares about it. And then all of a sudden when they're doing well, everybody's like, oh, I love them. And 
Yeah, I, I totally hate bandwagoners, but my brother would probably call me a bandwagoner too, because he, because you know, I don't know that much. I know sports, but not as much as you and Mick or my brother or anything like that, because I kind of I'm not like obsessed with it like you guys. Like it's not like it's like oh okay, I watch a game and you know that's about it. But no, <laughs> but no, but I, I get why people don't like. I don't like bandwagoners either, because if when I like something that's not even sports related and you know, people make fun of you for liking it. And then all of a sudden it becomes popular. Then everybody likes it. That bothers me too. So I totally get it. All right. There's one bandwagon. Uh, we'll close with this. Ramon and I are, are probably uh, members of, uh, and I'll let you uh, have the floor to sing the praise. Uh, Reservation Dogs, the third season, which I thought I watched. I've watched all three seasons, Reservation Dogs. I think it's on Hulu. Uh and I thought season three was the best. This is my opinion, Romana. It was like each episode was like a a, a poem it, with like like a, a meaning beyond what happened on the screen. Uh, and it always had like a, a sense of humor, uh, that uh, a wryness to it uh, and a, a, a strong feeling of irony um, and, and very lyrical at times, very mystical at times. Uh, very, I found it very moving, and when it was over, it's like, no, I want it to continue, uh, but it is over. So why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about Reservation Dogs, and I know you feel the same way I do, why they should watch it. Go ahead. Yeah, unlike you, Ben, I actually watched it when the show was <laughs> <laughs> dropping, not like waiting for all the shows. So there's yeah. parts of it that I don't remember, but Reservation Dogs is basically about a bunch of teenagers, young adults who are coping in the aftermath of a friend who dies by suicide. And so this was season three and it kind of focuses on the different, um, the different kids and the young adults. And this season, I kind of felt like they did touch upon the lives of their, um, the older people in the community and the kind of had, we kind of had flashbacks of what these older um, residents of this community were like when they were teenagers. Um, so you kind of get like a back history of like who they are. And so there are some, there are some stories where you see these people in present day and then they kind of flash back. And so there's a lot of seventies, um, motifs at one point um you know there's there's a death um and you know it's it's a very it's a very poignant show and it definitely has a sense of humor i thought the one with ethan hawk um playing the father of um the one of the young girls like you know she she was she never saw him she never met her father so she goes on this um, journey to find him. And um, I had no idea Ethan Hawke was going to be on the show. And so that was like, wait, <laughs> Ethan Hawke is the dad. And I thought it was a really, really, like that was a pretty powerful episode with her and her interactions with her dad. It's like, obviously, um, you know, her mom was killed in a motorcycle or car accident. And so she never really knew, she didn't even know her dad was white. She found out like, you know, she, you hear her talking to her aunt and her aunt's like, your dad was white. And she was kind of shocked by this. And uh, just the interaction between Ethan Hawke and the young actress who plays this woman, I thought I thought were really good and powerful. I think one of the things about the show, and Ben, I, I've talked to you about it, is, um, you know, as someone who was um, born in the 70s, and, you know, I remember when Dances with the Wolves came out and everybody talked about how groundbreaking it was. It's like Native Americans have never been portrayed as human beings, or they've always been portrayed through the eyes of white people's white people's like history. And um, you know, they're either portrayed as magical, like these mystical human beings, or you know, they're they're depicted as savages, like you know, the John Wayne movies. Not that I watch too many John Wayne stuff, but um, Native Americans have never been portrayed as three dimensional, and I think, and I think it's sad that it's 2023, and this is like the first time we've actually had shows that kind of um, show Native Americans as three dimensional people. There was a movie in the 90s called Smoke Signals that came out, um, and I remember that was groundbreaking because it just kind of focused on Native Americans in present day. And that was pretty good. And um, you would think that there would be like a slew of, you know, Native American narratives and movies and TV shows, but there hasn't been. So I, I did, I did appreciate Reservation Dogs because, 
you know, there's parts of it where, you know, it didn't really take itself too seriously, but it was still poignant at the same time. So I, I enjoyed the show and um, I'm glad you finally watched it. I couldn't talk to you about it because you were waiting until all the shows dropped. All the shows dropped. Also, yeah. um, I know you want to binge it, but we I wa- we watched it literally week after week. And so That's I think it, I did a couple months ago. So um, I, there's parts of it that are really fresh for me. There's parts of it I kind of forgot. But I do remember one of the themes was like where they focused on the adults a lot and, you know, kind of fleshing out who they are and were as young people. So let me uh, dwell on that one uh, uh, for a little bit. Uh, I had a special smile on my face. Um, so Romana's, okay, yes, I should have, I neglected to say this up top. Uh, it takes place uh, in uh, Oklahoma uh, in, uh, in an Indian uh, Native American community. Uh, uh, and white people, the way they deal with white people is, I think, pretty funny. Like, there's one white character who lives in the neighborhood, and they literally call him White Steve, uh, which just always makes me laugh. And then when they go to a church and Jesus, images of Jesus are, uh, they didn't do it this year, but in previous years, they call him White Jesus. White Jesus, Jesus. yeah. Uh, and um, so I can say it's pretty wry. Uh, and, um, but, uh, so there's this flashback scene uh, where the people in the community who are called elders and they're treated with reverence because they've lived a long life uh, and they've experienced just all the ups and downs of life and they have wisdom to pass on uh, to the younger generation. That's how it's kind of treated. So they flash back to when the elders were the same age as the teens who make up the movie in real time, the show in real time. And guess what? The elders are my age. Actually, I'm older than the elders because they graduated high school in 76 and I graduated high school in 73. And I'm like, we're not that old. And then they cut (laughs) and they listen to like rock and roll music and they're smoking reefer and they're partying like 70s style. I love the flashbacks. They were so cool. My humble opinion. Uh, I mean, it. They, I think they really captured like a '70s party vibe on those flashbacks. But then they cut back to these old geezers, man. I'm like, God damn, we're old now. <laughs> we're the elders. <laughs> oh lord, Romani, you you turn your mic off. You, your mic's off. Yeah, that's a, a good point because I actually thought that they seemed a lot older than people who graduated in '76. I was like. They they seem a lot like I don't know. I thought they should have been maybe like sixty nine or something like that because they seem the elders seem a lot older. But I don't know. They could have had their they could have had all their kids younger. But well, yeah, I like those parts down. too. Life is grind grinds them down. That's I think the point they were making. Uh, and the elders they did have a lot of wisdom. Some of it was kind of funny and like okay, but uh, I don't know. I. Ramana and I are I see eye to eye on this one. Uh, two thumbs up for Reservation Dog. Do you think season three is a standalone, or do you feel you need to watch one and two to appreciate? I don't know. Them? I think it's good to watch all of them, just because you know, like you know, they had that whole thing with the deer lady. You know, she comes oh, back yeah. in season mm-hmm. three, and um, I think it 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 kind of. I, I think it's good just to watch all three, just to be supportive of the show. Um, yeah, it probably can be watched, um, like alone because some of the episodes are like stories within their own, but I think it's good. I think it kind of gives you a fuller picture of who's who, if you watch it from the beginning and why these characters are a certain way. Um, I think you probably can watch it without it, but I would recommend definitely watching all three seasons to get the full flavor of the show. All right, listen, I'm going to let you go. You got a bulls game to go to, uh, feel free to wear that green hat uh that mick has uh <laughs> yeah i kind of wish i had a jordan jersey today but i don't i actually bought mick uh a, a bull sweatshirt a few years ago and so he has bulls gear and i, don't, I you know it's but... if you want to stop by my house i have close to 20 bulls hats okay so i got more than enough hats for you mick your entire family that your brother, who's supposedly the big sports fan, but I never hear him talk about basketball. I got a Bulls hat for that guy. He's a big Cubs fan. I don't have any Cubs hats. Sorry. Oh, he's he's From, he he watches basketball too. He watches basketball. He watches everything. So uh, I would have, by the way, this is a subject for another matter. Had the Cubs signed Otani, 
the, the great superstar, I was ready to jump back. And I told Mick, I'm back in the bandwagon. I don't care about the Ricketts. I'm back in the bandwagon. They didn't sign him. So I, I reserved the right to jump on the uh, bandwagon, despite everything I said, if it's a local team. And I've spent years and years of my life rooting for them in a previous existence. So therefore, there's my uh, distinction there. All right, Ramon, I'm going to let you go. Take care. Enjoy the Bulls game. And I hope the Bulls uh, bring home a victory for you tonight, okay? Thank you. All right, that's Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 